Good evening. Welcome to Left, Right and Center. I'm Vishnu Shom. We're going to start this program by actually bringing you the names, the faces of our Gallantry Award winners. We're going to come to that in just a few moments from now. Remember, tomorrow is Republic Day. It's an occasion when, besides thinking about our country, or our republic, it's also an opportunity to actually remember our brave hearts, some of whom have been honored this year with the Kirti Chakra, which is the second highest peacetime gallantry award winner, and uh, the Shorya Chakra as well, the third highest peacetime gallantry award winner. So let's have the list over there. These are Shorya Chakra winners, and you'll see the names of the Kirti Chakra award winners as well. These are some of the bravest of the brave. I would like to stress that um, these aren't released all at once uh, by the armed forces. These are our Army Bravehearts, the Navy and the Air Force Bravehearts will be honored in separate programs on NDTV and certainly tomorrow as well. The last person there is a Jammu and Kashmir police officer uh, who died in action, Shorya Chakra. And there you see the Kirti Chakra names. These are some of those who've got the second highest peacetime gallantry award winners. So you can see all of their names over there. Uh, some of our bravest sons. And they have a job to patrol. They've got a job to defend us. Uh, in fact, that's what we are looking at today. We're looking at the situation in Ladakh. And we're doing this because there have been fairly startling claims by a police officer posted in Ladakh on her concerns on how India may have lost territory to China after the standoff with China. Her first point is significant. She says that Indian forces have lost their presence in 26 of 65 patrolling points along the line of actual control in Ladakh. Now, army sources have responded. They deny any loss of territory. But what do locals in the area have to say about some of the key points that the police officer raises on grazing grounds, for example, being lost to the Chinese for herders in the region? Is this perspective published in a home ministry report credible? Or does it need to be seen in the overall context of the India-China disengagement where progress has been made. Second on the program, India has invited Pakistan's foreign minister to a meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization that it is hosting in May. Sources in Pakistan confirmed that their foreign minister, Bilawal Bhutto Zardari, has received the invite, though Islamabad is yet to take a decision. Now, just a month ago, comments by the Pakistani foreign minister, Bilawal Bhutto Zardari, targeting Prime Minister Narendra Modi on the sidelines of a UN Security Council meeting had sparked anger and protests in India. India called Mr. Zardari's comments uncivilized. Therefore, we're asking, can Pakistan truly be trusted? That's the key question. And finally, another loss for the Congress. The son of veteran leader A.K. Antony quits the Congress party. He says that he was targeted for his comments hitting out at the BBC on the Modi documentary. I speak to him on the show in a little while from now. But we are going to quickly move on now to our top story, the situation in uh, Ladakh. I'm joined now uh, by Konchok Stanzen, he's counsellor for Chushul and a former executive counsellor for the Ladakh Autonomous Hill Development Region. He actually is with us in our studios today. Ranbir Singh Pathania of the BJP, Lieutenant General Satish Dua, uh, former Chief of the Integrated Defence Staff and Swahasni Haidar, National Editor and Diplomatic Affairs Editor of the Hindu. I'm going to first go through a couple of key points, some graphic points to explain what exactly we are talking about uh, and then the army reaction as well. But let's bring you the first, uh, the first key point. Now, 
a Ladakh police officer serving in Leh has made the point that out of 65 patrol points that India has, we've lost our presence uh, in 26 patrol points. There is restrictive or no patrolling by Indian security forces. China forces us to accept that such areas have not seen the presence of Indian security forces. She says the Chinese say one thing uh, and they claim that the territory is theirs and voila, it certain, seems to suggest that they are gaining Indian territory. Now, China's claims have resulted in a shift in the border uh, control of security forces towards the Indian side and that a buffer zone is created in all such prop, uh, pockets which ultimately lead to loss of control of India over these areas. All of this basically are tactics of the Chinese army to grab land inch by inch in what is known as salami slicing. So these are fairly strong assertions made by uh, one police officer in Ladakh. So on this program, we're actually going to be looking at the seriousness uh, of those comments, but it's also important to reflect on what the Indian army has said. They said there's been no loss of land in Ladakh. That's a, a key point that the army says. The line of actual control is maintained by patrolling and technical measures. There has been no loss of territory because of disengagement. Some areas have restricted patrolling for both sides. No pasture lands have been lost. And India matches China in observing areas of disengagement. So let me come across first, um, if I can, uh, to General Satish Dua. General Dua, you know, it's, it's an argument that comes up over and over again. Yes, there is a diplomatic process underway, a military process underway of making peace uh, with the Chinese. But are we conceding land through buffer zones within our territory? Um, look, Vishnu, the short answer is no. We are not conceding any land because of buffer zones. These buffer zones have come up in certain areas because of a differing perception of LAC. And let, let us all remember, let me try and clarify one thing for, for the viewers. The perception of LAC is not sacrosanct, but the petrol points, there are 65 of them, the petrol points have been recognized at both sides and are sacrosanct. And it is these, which you also just read out the army statement, uh, it is these petrol points which are being dominated either by physical patrolling or by technical means. I would not like to go into details of which the technical means are. Cameras being one of them. And both sides are doing it. Uh, as far as delineation of the LSC, uh, I beg your pardon, as far as the re resolution of the problem uh, at the couple of patrol points where it is still left, there MEA is also involved. And uh, as, as you know, this the whole uh, issue of delineation of LAC or resolving the issue of LAC or those 23 flashpoints that are there, that is actually the, the, the responsibility of MEA. Sure. Now, uh, so, so, so what is happening? It's uh, everyone is involved. B patrolling has been done uh, all along by ITBP. But over the last few years, Army is also uh, participating in patrolling in respective areas. Now, with due respects, this police, uh, the report by a police superintendent uh, of uh, Leh, Radak, uh, I don't know where, where this is coming. I mean, as an army man, I am unable to understand it because uh, it, if it was an ITBP officer's report, one would understand it. Um, graziers are being allowed. 
except for those contentious points where uh, where it is not in everyone's interest you know it it, it happens in the border areas where certain places a couple of kilometers the graziers may not be allowed for the reasons that we've just spoken of so all in all uh i mean i read the statement i hear you when you read out the army statement and uh, we need to understand two things one is the dif- the res- different responsibilities sure. of different departments and how complex this whole issue is got it general i take your point let me just go across to conchok stands in you know one of the points mentioned by the police officer is the loss of grazing grounds uh, now as as a councillor in ladakh um, have you been losing grazing grounds in the chushul region main to yahi kahunga sir dekhi जो पुलिस ऑफिसर लद्दाख ने जो कहा है क्योंकि वो हमारे डिस्ट्रिक्ट स्तर पे सबसे बड़े ऑफिसर है जो सुप्रिंटेंडेंट जो पुलिस है उसके जोरिस्टिक्शन में पूरे ले डिस्ट्रिक्ट पूरा जो है आता है और वो टूर के लिए जाते हैं पूरे बॉर्डर्स के एरिया हर जहाँ जहाँ हमारा बॉर्डर पड़ता है जहाँ जहाँ हमारे विलेज है हर जगह जाते हैं लोगों से मिलते हैं और इस पॉइंट पर भी वो गए हैं तो मैं पिछले तीन साल से कंटिन्यूसली बोलते आ रहा हूँ कि बॉर्डर की एरिया में हमें प्रॉब्लम आ रहा है लोकल्स को जाने के लिए प्रॉब्लम आ रहा है बफर जोन क्रिएट किया गया है जो मॉरिटोरियम सेट किया है उसमें कहीं ना कहीं दिक्कत है जो आज हमें आर्टिकल के थ्रू जो देखने को मिल रहा है कई जो पेट्रोलिंग पॉइंट हो जितनी भी पेट्रोलिंग पॉइंट हो सिविलियन ये आर्मी का जो नाम दिया हुआ है पेट्रोलिंग पॉइंट है सिविलियंस का अलग पॉइंट है ये पूरा काराक्रम से लेके चुमुर तक उन्होंने पूरा उसमें लिखा है लेकिन मेरी कॉन्स्टिट्युएंसी अगर देखा जाएगा देखा जाए तो छुशुल कॉन्स्टिट्युएंसी जो बिल्कुल बॉर्डर कॉन्स्टिट्युएंसी है पी से लेकर पी थर्टी के करीब करीब जो है पेट्रोलिंग पॉइंट जो है छुशुल कॉन्स्टिट्युएंसी में पड़ता है मेरा सीधा सीधा सवाल ये है कि अगर हम प्री जो अप्रैल 2020 की बात करते हैं तो उस समय स्थिति कुछ और था अभी कुछ और है लेकिन हाँ मैं ये कहूँगा कि इसमें बदलाव जो है चेंजेस जो है आने देखने को आ रहा है कि अभी बॉर्डर लेवल पे बॉर्डर पे जो सिविल डिफेंस या क्या कहते हैं लाइजन कॉन्फ्रेंस जो है हो रहा है उसमें हर चीजें जो है बात हो रहा है उसमें ये बोल ये तो है पर मैं सिर्फ आपसे ये पूछना चाहूंगा कि पेट्रोल पॉइंट्स जो है आपके चुशुल एरिया में जो पेट्रोल पॉइंट्स है आप ये कह रहे हैं कि इस अब आपके कॉन्स्टिट्यूंसी के अंदर जो पेट्रोल पॉइंट्स है आप वहां जा नहीं सकते फौज वहां नहीं जा सकते पुलिस नहीं जा सकते बिल्कुल नहीं जा सकते हैं बिल्कुल नहीं जा सकते ये जो आप आज जो आर्टिकल में आया है वो फैक्ट है आप इसमें धीरे धीरे इसमें अगर वो होते हैं चेंजेस होते हैं पॉजिटिव होते हैं तो वो अलग बात है अभी तक जो है हमारे नोमेड जो है जहां तक पहले ट्रेडिशनल ग्रेजिंग एरिया तक जाते थे वहां तक जा नहीं पा रहे हैं तो वो अगर वो जाते वहां उनको कौन फौज बताते हैं कि आप वहां से चले जाइए आप यहां मत आइए या आप चाइना से प्रेशर आते उनके जो सोल्जर्स है तैनात है वहां उनसे प्रेशर आता है हमें ये बताया गया कि जब भी जो टॉक होते हैं उसमें ये डिस्कशन होता है कि कहाँ तक आना है कहाँ तक नहीं आना है करके वो मिलिट्री लेवल पे होते होंगे लेकिन वो हमें अपडेट करते हैं कि इसके ये एरिया जो है मॉडिटोरियम सेट किया है इसीलिए प्रॉब्लम है करके वो हमें आर्मी के थ्रू बताया जाता है जी रणबीर बुडी लाइक टू रिस्पॉन्ड टू दिस यू नो ही काउंसिलर इन इन चुशूल पॉइंट वेरी क्लियर ही The, the you, you can't get to points you could get to a couple of years back and that's the essential point that this police officer and sp has written out of 65 patrol points we our presence is lost in 26 of them vishnu uh, the report filed by the superintendent of police from ladakh 
is in a different context. Now, that has not been, I won't say affirmed, but that has been ruled out by the army. But the basic thrust of the argument remains that India has virtually changed its strategy as to how to deal with the dragon. And particularly on the eastern, western and the central LAC is confronting India as well as China. China has been a troublesome neighbor of not only 47, after 47, prior to 1947 also, you see the history of the demarcation of backbone line. But ultimately, Hindi, Chini, Bhai, Bhai, ultimately, Nehruji spoke on the floor of the parliament that not even a blade of grass grows on Aksai Chen. But now we have virtually changed our strategy. We should at least trust our forces, we should trust our leadership, and we should trust the new tectonic, I'll use the word tectonic shift in the Indian policy vis-a-vis China. We have increased we have increased our presence on the South China border. We have increased border infrastructure. Once the, the Indian Defense Minister, I will name him also Mr. Anthony, said on the floor of the parliament that it is very difficult. It is rather impracticable to prop up the, the security and the border infrastructure confronting the India and the China LSE. So we have propped up that also. India has a, a better relation with US also, India and quad US relations. India has virtually... Right, so big, big, the bottom line that you're, you're, you're saying, yeah, Ranbir, yeah. is that, look, we, we've been dealing with this situation and it's no one's contention that it's an easy situation. Yes. Uh, okay, absolutely. fair enough. Absolutely. You know, Suhasni, this is... Uh, it. Uh, I think Ranbir does lay, raise the larger issue that, look, we've been talking, we've been trying to fix things and we've stepped up our defences. But when you see a police officer make a point or you see a local councillor on this make a point, uh, it, and, and the point is this, that... We are not able to patrol up to our claim line. If the patrol point was sacrosanct, in many of these areas, we aren't able to go there. And yes, there is a disengagement which is taking place. But the argument which is raised that that disengagement is within territory which is ours. It was never, we never considered it to be, you know, contentious territory. So therefore, we are conceding territory. It's not as if we have gone on the other side of the patrolling point and the Chinese have said, no, no, you back out. It's, it's different. So therefore, the argument is made that we've lost territory. Is there sense in that? Well, I think, you know, the, the real point over here, and this is something as journalists we've been saying for three years, is the government really needs to come out and explain what is going on. For three years, you have been covering the story. We have covered the story. We have consistently spoken about where India has lost its access to certain points. General Dua says there's a buffer zone. But the question is, has the LAC ever had a buffer zone in the past? And where is this buffer zone being made if it is not inside Indian territory? Let's remember all the territory up to the, uh, uh, up to the LAC on the Chinese side is claimed by India. So when uh, we hear from the government again and again saying that there is no such thing uh, and that there is no loss of land, they cannot explain this. Now, when you look at this particular paper, so all this time we were told you're working on the basis of sources. Obviously, it's such a sensitive matter. Uh, and you have uh, uh, people like the spokesperson of the ruling party right now. The moment you ask a question of the government, it becomes that you are questioning the, the military. Nobody is questioning the military. But we are, as a democracy and a part of democracy, questioning the government about exactly what has happened there. And some kind of clarity over three years should have come through. This particular report, written by the SP of Lay, for whatever reason it was actually made available 
uh, and it was presented or it was prepared for this DGP conference, uh, cannot just be wished away or or, or uh, dismissed out of hand. Someone like Konjak Stanzin on the ground is saying, yes, this report is correct. Uh, the report contains specifics, specifics of the patrol points that they cannot reach, specifics of the tactics they are seeing the Chinese employ along the LAC. And the final point I want to make, uh, Vishnu, I understand that the government has chosen to keep this, uh, uh, you know, uh, under uh, a certain radar, has chosen to continue with talks, WMCC talks, continue with military post talks. Um, uh, it has decided not to take any aggressive action in response to what we have seen the Chinese do again and again, including just uh, last month in Tawang, where we heard in the parliament from the defense minister saying the Chinese attempted uh, to take a post, uh, and they were pushed back. But we don't hear about any other kind of protest. There is no diplomatic protest. There is no India deciding uh, to, to make its protest about this constant Chinese uh, attempt to change the status quo. This, these are words from the Ministry of External Affairs. We don't see any kind of response. We see those pictures you were showing just now that uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi met with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping at the uh, uh, G20 in Bali. It was on the sidelines. It was at a banquet. But we saw the video of them talking together. Uh, and even on the very basic question that we asked the Ministry of External Affairs or asked the government, did the Prime Minister raise the situation at the LAC in that conversation? Because this is at the top of everyone's sure. mind. The government says uh, it cannot be business and usual, as usual while the situation uh, remains. So the, the question we keep asking is there is a need for clarity. Every time we see a report like this, and now you see it in black and white. Uh, you can't walk away from something that's written by an official. No, no, that's, that's important. And it, it, it's, a, it's a document which is written within a, uh, you know, it's, it's one essay in a, in a large document prepared by the Home Ministry. It's kosher, it's valid, and it's well thought out, and it has a lot of specifics. I think, uh, Ranbi, the point which Suhasini makes, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, is that yes. there does need to be clarity, much more clarity than we've seen. Now, I'm not raising, this is, this is obviously a point the, the, the opposition has raised. This is not a political debate. But do you not agree that, you know, there needs to be more clarity, for example, in the process of disengagement? What exactly have we agreed to? Um, you know, it's it's kept vague, uh, and obviously it's sensitive. But uh, do you not believe that there needs to be more transparency? Uh, Vishnu, uh, I appreciate the the point made by the learned journalist. There always have been, a, uh, Madam Swasni, it has been a feast uh, going through his uh, her articles on the Hindu her write-ups on Hindu also. But my, what I was trying to uh, make out a very, very humble and a submissive point, I, I am a spokesperson of the Bharatiya Janata Party, but I am a Dogra from Jammu and Kashmir. If you kindly go to 1834, I'll talk of 1830, that's the conquest of Ladakh. Dogras were the first who virtually tamed the threat from China. We defeated China in a most worst way, which is the biggest defeat to Chinese forces in the Battle of Tibet and in the conquest of Ladakh. So what I was trying to submit that Hindi Chini bye bye. Now it is not Hindi Chini bye bye. Padanamantri ji says Shanti yep. ke liye shakti bhi zaruri hai. So so far as the part of clarity and transparency is required, everything is clear. Everything is transparent. Pakistan, uh, China has been a troubling neighbor. China will remain a troubling neighbor, and we need to tame it diplomatically. We need to tame it politically. We need to tame it militarily, strategically also. We need to explore each and every option how to tame a recalcitrant, a troublemaking neighbor like China. 
so my 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 respectful submission which i want to uh, want to make before uh, the lander panelists as well as the viewers who are viewing this debate that bharat sarkar and the dynamic leadership of pradhan mantri ji and we are open to each and every suggestion we are open to each and every input we are open to each and every better point we are not like we have put ourselves in a cocoon and we say we are always right we don't need suggestions or points from somebody else my what i was trying to focus is there is a tectonic shift in the bharat sarkar's policy vis-a-vis china vis-a-vis okay. vis-a-vis stemming the indian chinese border also so in the in the in the long there there is nothing like vagueness or lack of clarity bharat sarkar is clear that uh, we will not okay ranbir i get it i get the point that you are making we will not cede even a single inch of land to any neighbor including okay. china or any other else. that's All what right. i really want to say general dua um, would i mean is this the new normal uh, is it a, a a fair statement to make that look let's go beyond the rhetoric of you know how much land we've lost or how much land we've not lost there is a certain reality now it's based on a disengagement process yes we have gained a lot in the disengage, disengagement process as well particularly in areas where we physically fought for example galwan what we are now seeing in these disengagement zones is that the best case scenario do you believe it's time for the government or the armed forces anybody to actually say that look let's get realistic we have had the chinese come across we are trying to send them back they have gone back but yes there is a disengagement there is the buffer zone and we have to live with that it's not going to be win win for india therefore maximalist positions do not really achieve very much is that what we will have to live with uh, look vishnu since 1996 we've uh, that is both sides have identified a few flash points i think there are 23 of them <coughs> both india and china have identified those flash points all over the loc lac now uh, and we we have been patrolling up to our perception of the lac yeah. our perception that is indian perception of the lac is Uh, in the chinese territory as far as chinese perception is concerned and their perception of the lse is into our side so instead of a, a, a no man's land between this and and this width varies between it could be a couple of kilometers or 8 kilometers so this so this perception for example between finger 2 and finger 8 our perception is up to finger 8 now north bank of pegongso and their perception is up to finger 2 we are not allowed to construct any structures however both are allowed patrol up to their perception of the lac that means we go up to finger eight and they come to up to finger two it is during this patrolling that sometimes patrol clashes have taken place and then it has gone it has gone little beyond uh, uh, beyond just uh, talking okay so now these flash points are the protect the pp points and uh, in some of these pp points galwan was one of them we've had actual physical clashes it has led to casualties <clears throat> now uh, we have been over the last two years we have been able to resolve several of them pp15 was the last one that was resolved in which mea rep is also involved in talking now this is a very painstaking process it requires interpreters it requires understanding the chinese are reluctant to change exchange maps etc so it's it is taking time to resolve the process but now to your question it is not the question of this is the new normal this has been happening all along the what what i explained just now but now uh, if, if depsang is a, is an area which is not yet resolved demchok is an area which is not yet resolved so the next lot of the next round of talks will uh, take up those areas which are which have not yet been resolved so i i don't agree with you uh, when you say 
that uh, Indian Army or the government should perhaps say that, okay, they have come up to here, so the, whatever has, has been lost, I, I mean, you will have to please take uh, the Army's word when we say that we haven't lost. Yes, there are a couple of places where we are engaged and we want to disengage. So that process, we are trying to do it by process of talking rather okay. than get into another Galwan kind of situation. Okay. Until then, Patrolling, for example, I'll just end by saying this, Vishnu. Uh, for example, uh, I was just reading through these slides that are coming over in this in this uh, contentious report. Also, it says restrictive patrolling. Yes. Now, I myself I've told you earlier, and the army statement has also perhaps has said this that in some places we are patrolling, in some places it is restrictive patrolling, and in some places only technical means have been allowed. That is as as per the agreement by both sides, so that. Patrols don't come face sure. to face each, with each so other. Gen General, I get all of these points. I just want to get Suhasni in. Yeah, Suhasni had a point. Go ahead. I, I, since General Dua said um, that we must take the army's word, I just want to make the point that there is no word from the army. All that we have is on sources. Even though this report came out in black and white, it has been covered in the press, uh, we do not have an actual statement from the military. The last really official statement of Prime Minister Modi from June 2020 that no one has come inside, nobody is, uh, has taken Indian post, remains. There is no update to that. So I just wanted to make that limited point that even today, even given that there is an MEJ uh, um, uh, document that we are looking at, uh, which says this in black and white, the response to it has not been on the record. So Asni, today the report, today Army statement, Vishnu read out. Army has given, yes. the Defense Forces have given a reply to the statement. So she raises the, the larger point yeah. about how, but you know, I mean, it's a larger issue or, or, and this affects not just the armed forces, but several other ministries as well, that, you know, there's information which is given. It comes from officials, but it's dubbed sources. It's on the, it's, it's still attributed so there is, to sources. By, there, there is deniability. There's, there's, essentially, it's done to ensure that there is deniability, right? I mean, let's face it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, even even on the ticker, you can say, see, it says army sources say this. It is not a statement yet. Okay, look, uh, we leave it over here. Uh, but Konchok Sanzen, thank you very much for joining us. And it's good to see you in, uh, in, in Delhi. We often connect with you from Trushul. And I hope all of the concerns that you've raised have been addressed over here, including internet connectivity, better electricity, uh, and better infrastructure in Trushul, uh, the small town. And hopefully you'll get all of that over there. That's important for all of us. We're going to move on on this program. Second up on, this, uh, on the show, India has invited Pakistan's foreign minister to a meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization that it's hosting in May. Sources in Pakistan confirm that their foreign minister, Bilawal Bhutto Zardari, has received the invite, but Islamabad is yet to take a decision. Now, just a month ago, comments by Pakistan's foreign minister, Bilawal Zardari, targeting the prime minister on uh, Prime Minister Modi on the sidelines of the UN Security Council sparked anger in India. We called uh, Zardari's comments uncivilized. And therefore, the question on this debate, can Pakistan be trusted? That's the key question uh, that we're asking this evening. Brahma Chirani with us. Suhasni remains. We've also got Ambassador Dilip Sinha and we'll be joined by Imtiaz Gold from Pakistan. Ambassador Sinha, um, you know, I mean, the words which were used by, uh, by uh, Mr. Mr. Zardari of the Prime Minister, you know, were, were, were very, very harsh. Are we willing to accept him in our country? I mean, why? Is it tokenism? Or do you think that it's time for change which can be achieved? And Vishnu, uh, this invitation is for an SCO meeting. Now, as we all know, 
for such multilateral meetings, invitations do go out in the routine to all uh, member states. And in this case, Pakistan is a member state. And I think we are obliged to invite the foreign minister. As we know from past experience, what happens in the SCO remains in the SCO. Now, you'd remember that about a year ago, as part of the SCO's uh, meetings, we had organized a joint anti-terror exercise with Pakistan. Now, that certainly did not spill over into cooperation between India and Pakistan on terrorism or counter-terrorism. So uh, whatever happens in the SCO, whether Bilawal Zardari comes or does not come, we still have to see. Uh, we have to be clear that we should not expect anything uh, that happens inside the SCO to spill over into bilateral relations and start impacting it. Okay. Um, Imtiaz Gol, you know, the, the language used by Bilawal Bhutto Zardari has been fairly extreme. India's foreign ministry reacted some time back. They've referred to his comments as uncivilized, an uncivilized outburst, a result of Pakistan's increased inability to use terrorists and their proxy. When Bilawal Bhutto Zardari comes over here, and of course China, your major partner, will be here as well, most likely, um, do you expect this to actually achieve anything? Well, it's a multilateral meeting, and uh, obviously the SEO would have a particular agenda uh, as far as uh, all the members are concerned. So, uh, if you know the, the every minister is there, obviously they will pursue the agenda, and I don't think it has anything to do with uh, Pakistan-India relations. Okay, Swasni, that's disappointing, isn't it? That you know we actually have him in our country, but the stage is nowhere close to being set to achieve anything meaningful? Well, I do agree that the invitation itself to the SCO uh, members is routine. It is to be expected the moment India joins the SCO, there would be a day when India would host the SCO summit. And therefore, there would be a day when India would host the other SCO members, which include Pakistan. Um, I think uh, where there is a significance is that it will be about uh, more than uh, 10 years. Uh, I think since 2011 that a Pakistani wow. foreign minister 10 has years. Uh, uh, Unbelievable, yeah. So. So more. Um, uh, and, it, uh, you know, it's not since 2015, uh, 2014 that a Pakistani prime minister visited India. So if we are going to see the, uh, the Pakistani leadership, I'm not quite sure at what level it will be. Mr. Bhutto uh, Zardari could or could not come, could send. In fact, the same minister that came in 2011 was uh, uh, Ms. Hina Kar, who's the uh, uh, minister of state. Um, so it remains to be seen at what level Pakistan chooses to uh, attend this. But there is nothing other than routine about the invitations going out for the last year. In fact, in the last few months, we've had SCO, uh, uh, you know, uh, coordinators meetings, national coordinators meetings. Pakistan has been invited to them. They attended, I think, two meetings in Delhi. One was attended virtually, the one that uh, took the co coordinators to Varanasi last week. So we, we're really not seeing anything that is unexpected over here, ex except, as I said, there is a significance to the fact um, that they will be coming after so long that there is then an opportunity for them to talk. As you pointed out, uh, the, 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 the kind of exchange of words and the very personal comments made about Prime Minister Modi by the uh, Pakistani foreign minister in December certainly makes it an awkward moment if he does choose to come. But then there is the Pakistani prime minister's words from uh, a week ago uh, where he said that uh, we've learned our lessons from the wars, that we wish to speak to India uh, seriously, Much more uh, sincerely. Yeah. 
uh, and about you know burning issues sure. including consumption. so um, we have to take it as it comes when it comes but uh, nothing out of the ordinary about the invitations themselves Brahma Chelani, um, you know, the 26-11 perpetrators, Hafiz Saeed, Masood Azhar, uh, Sajjad Meer, also the, uh, as well as the mastermind of, uh, you know, the, the Mumbai blast, Dawood Ibrahim, they've all remained in Pakistan. Um, so many countries around the world have, have you know, bear the scars of Pakistan-sponsored <laughs> terrorism. Um, nothing has changed on that front. Um, and, and that's the bottom line. And yet, uh, do you believe that somehow a strategy needs to be devised by India if not Pakistan, to try and work around that and try and see if we can actually achieve anything? Well, there are two points that we should keep in mind. First, that a crisis on Pakistan today is at one of its weakest moments ever. Pakistan is sinking into a deeper economic and political hole. Bailouts from China, IMF, Saudi Arabia and elsewhere have failed to salvage the Pakistani economy. And to make matters worse, the military-backed government in power in Pakistan lacks popular legitimacy or credibility. Against this background, India should let Pakistan stew in its own juices. Second, India has pursued dialogue with Pakistan under successive governments, only to burn its fingers each time. No Pakistani foreign minister may have come to India in the last 10 years or so, but why do we forget that Modi himself made a surprise stopover in Lahore, Pakistan? But his visit only yielded a series of Pakistan-scripted major terrorist attacks in India. Pakistan understands the language not of dialogue, but of retribution. It speaks for itself that since India's Balakot airstrike almost three years ago, there has been no major Pakistan-backed terrorist strike in India. The Balakot airstrike shattered the Pakistani military general's illusion that they could continue to stage cross-border terrorist attacks from behind the nuclear shield. Pakistan's generals now are uncertain about the extent or severity of an Indian military response if they were to stage a major cross-border terrorist attack. This is what has yielded peace, reopening right. dialogue with only emboldened the Pakistani generals to resort to cross-border terrorism again. Hmm. Imtiaz Gul, uh, is there anything positive that that we should take away from this conversation? I mean, is there any no, hope? No, I'm all? surprised. Uh, actually, I'm surprised over the over such uh, shows, uh, just because you know you have uh, configured one show around uh, the Indian uh, uh, invitation to Pakistan and Pakistan's foreign minister. But then again, we start uh, going back, uh, recycling old no, So I'm asking you to take it forward. And, you know, it's, we are yeah. fighting on this program. We don't really fight that much on this channel. Uh, some suggestions. Yeah, so shows. this is what I actually, you know, if, if, uh, if the media, if the official dumb continues to rub the same point, do the same uh, nitpicking, then obviously the relationship will not go anywhere. All, all we need is to see... Uh, the situation that Pakistan is in today, all we need to do is to consider what the Prime Minister said a week ago, that we have learned our lessons, and probably take it from there, rather than digging, digging out dead horses, old issues, and that basically becomes an automatic obstruction in the way forward. So somehow they, there has to be a constituency in India that 
wants to take uh, the bilateral relationship forward, forgetting what L.K. Advani, the then Interior Minister, might have said uh, back in 2000 that uh, we have to now teach Pakistan a lesson. Right. Um, you know, if you continue teaching uh, your neighbor lesson, then obviously the acrimony will not go away. Ambassador Sina, last word to you. Uh, how does one go beyond the impasse? At the moment, I don't think the right time is ripe, uh, quite apart from the fact that this particular invitation is a routine invitation as a multilateral commitment. The fact is that uh, Pakistan uh, is, is due for an election in October, or perhaps earlier. So if the meeting takes place in May, if he allows the Rai in May, then obviously it's very close to the elections. Uh, two of the state assemblies in Pakistan have already been dissolved. Imran Khan is currently out. He's pressing for elections. He may be arrested today, tomorrow. We don't know. So in this kind of a political situation, I can't expect, one cannot expect uh, any government in Pakistan to take a major initiative like changing its earlier policy. Remember, four, three, four years ago, Pakistan expelled India's ambassador. And they have not called him back. So uh, they, we don't even have the basic norm, uh, basic diplomatic relations between the two <coughs> countries today. So to expect at this point in time, when Pakistan is due for elections, and our own elections, mind you, are also due uh, in, in about a year's time from now, to expect a major uh, breakthrough at this time is perhaps not the, the, uh, All right. the appropriate well, let's see what finally happens when he does come over here. Hopefully, the language will be a lot more tempered than we've seen it in, in the recent past. I'd like to thank you all very much uh, for being with us. Thanks very much indeed. Well, we're going to take a short break uh, at this stage and come back with a lot more, including an interview with the Congress veteran A.K. Anthony's son, Anil Anthony, who's quit his party. He'll tell us why. The Congress veteran A.K. Anthony's son, Anil Anthony, has quit the party today, alleging intolerant calls to retract a tweet in which he defied the party's stand and denounced a BBC documentary on Prime Minister Modi as a dangerous precedent. Anil Anthony, who was part of the Congress's social media sale in Kerala, shared his resignation letter on Twitter and cited abuses by ones supporting a trek to promote love in a caustic reference to Rahul Gandhi's Bharat Jodo Yatra. Uh, Anil uh, Anthony joins us now. Anil, thanks very much for being with us. Now, you say you were targeted. Um, how specifically? See, let me... So, I don't want to... Uh, let's say... So, a lot of things have been brewing for a while. End of the day, like, I've been... Um, uh, like, let's say I started working for the Congress Party formally, again, 2019 election, 2021, different election I've been working. But whenever I've been doing certain things, there had been a very specific... Um, like targeted cyber attacks that had been happening, especially in Kerala. And I knew very specifically that it had come from certain corners of the Congress party. I was very aware of that. But end of the day, I'm a very practical person. And end of the day, I'm not somebody who likes to take grudges forward, nor am I somebody who actually likes to, uh, let's say, um, uh, fret over meaningless things. So I just forgot all that and life was moving on. And end of the day, yesterday also, like end of the day, I don't want to sit and cry about whatever that happened. But end of the day, it's a series of events. And the series of events actually led me to finally reach a realization that somebody like me will find it very difficult to actually work in this highly toxic, disruptive, destructive 
environment and I think I have a thriving professional life and I should just get along with that and just forget it for a while. Right, and that so very what strong happened. words. Now, your father, A.K. Anthony, former defense minister, uh, a confidant of Sonia Gandhi for, for a very, very long time. Does he agree with your decision? So my father has retired from parliamentary politics and he has moved back to Kerala. He is 82 now. After 52 years, he retired from parliamentary politics and he has moved back to Kerala. And now he is living a semi-retired life. At the end of the day, he, I don't think he has any intention to interfere in any of the national or state matters of the Congress in any manner. And end of the day, what my father taught me, end of the day, we may disagree or agree with a lot of things, but at the same time, there are certain things. Like end of the day, one thing which he and I has always agreed on is whatever your convictions are and whatever your conscience says, that is what you should do. And I am doing that. And I, I don't think that he will be faulting me for that. So if you're talking about convictions, do you back censorship? No, I haven't had a conversation with him. I'm not sure that he will back my decision also. But this is what I believe is something which I should be doing based on the current scenario. And I'm doing it based on my convictions and my conscience. No, but on the larger issue of censorship, where do you stand? See, end of the day, I am very happy and proud of the fact that we are the world's largest as well as one of the oldest democracies. And in a democracy, unless there is freedom of speech and freedom of expression, we will not be able to thrive nor will be able to move forward. So I am not somebody who is for any kind of ban or blockage against any kind of documentary, any film, any book, any show, etc., etc., because I don't think that that is how things should be. So this is not the point here. Like, I have nothing against any of these screenings that are happening anywhere in the country also. Like, end of the day, it's a free country. But end of the day, yesterday I made a certain uh, tweet, and end of the day, the tweet is very self-explanatory. It is only four lines, and it says exactly what it says. Because end of the day, like... This particular thing comes from certain places. The people who are behind this particular documentary are also the same people who are actually responsible for the Iraq war, which is actually responsible for the killing of millions of people, uh, displacing uh, tens of millions of people. And when somebody like that does a project and comes here, obviously we should be concerned about. And end of the day, the second thing which I mentioned is end of the day, we may all have different political views, but whatever your political views are, end of the day, the political views, the partisan politics shouldn't actually come above your core national interest, including sovereignty. And that is what I mentioned. But is, this genuinely, is this genuinely an issue of sovereignty? I mean, do you, you agree, therefore, with what the BJP says? So this is not about that. So let me just explain. Yes, so so here it is what it is. So end of the day, I am not for the screening or uh, let's say displaying of anything. But end of, end of the day, at the same time, when certain people think that, let's say, uh, something like this actually have more sanctity over any of our institutions, then that is setting a precedence which will actually erode our sovereignty will time. So do you feel that, um, and let's talk a little bit about the Congress, that uh, you know, you've hit out at them, uh, that the top brass in a sense didn't listen to you. Is that is that what this is all about? End of the day, it is not about Congress, BJP or me or the BJP. End of the day, I think this is something which I feel 99% of the country will agree with and I think this is something which every Indian should actually agree with and that is like end of the day, our partisan politics shouldn't actually come above national no, interest but I and two, end of the day, when it comes to certain things, our core national interest, including our sovereignty, security, as well as our strategic interest, I don't think any kind of politics should come over it and that is something which I strongly believe in and two, is the sanctity of our institutions where end of the day, I am not saying that every institution in this country is 
is perfect in any manner, nor am I telling that every institution in the country is that, uh, let's say, great in any manner, like end of the day, some could be 80% efficient, some could be 60% efficient, some, some could be 20% efficient, and end of the day, people like, let's say, even people like you and your media, etc., etc., are fighting for that to ensure that our institutions no, actually I, I understand. Remove, remain neutral, independent, and uncompromised. But end of the day, whatever it is, whatever the degree of efficiency is, I strongly believe that end of the day, we shouldn't actually let foreign entities, foreign institutions, etc. actually come here and gain precedence over it because that is actually going to set a precedence which will definitely erode the long-term sovereignty of our country. But let's talk a little bit about your equation with the Congress. I mean, do you feel that it's these top leaders of the Congress that betrayed you? No, no, I don't have any hard feelings, nor, nor am I sad that I was left out or left in of anything. It's a general trend I noticed and I feel that this kind of trend will only, uh, let's say it is a race to the bottom and that is where things are heading. It's an observation that I made and I just observed it. But what about your remarks on Rahul Gandhi and on the Yatra? Some would suggest that they were fairly caustic. Um, no, no, not at all. Like, end of the day, like, I have absolute uh, respect and appreciation for what he is doing. And end of the day, I think he is doing something which, which is very commendable when he is actually walking from Ganyagumari to Kashmir and he is actually trying to unite the country over a message of love and a message of tolerance. And I feel sad for him because these are the kind of supporters and people who are around him who are actually so intolerant and who are so filled with hate while and, let's say, everything that is against what Rahul Gandhi stands for. But uh, what about the other, the senior Congress leader uh, in Kerala, Shashi Tharoor? Have you spoken to him? Sadly, I haven't had a chance to speak to him at all. But he is somebody I have the highest of regards for. And um, he, I do hope that whatever uh, efforts he is trying to reform the organization within K in Kerala as well as in India, like I hope it succeeds because I think unless we change, we will not survive. Okay, unless we change, we will not survive. So what do you intend to do next? At this moment, there are no steps. I would be like, like I am a very accomplished professional. Like I am a Stanford graduate. I have been in the Bay Area for a long time. I work in the field of technology, digital areas, cybersecurity areas for the last 12 years in a lot of international as well as national platforms. And I'm very happy to take that forward. And I think that is my true passion and my interest. So I'll be working on that. And at this moment, I have no interest to actually... Uh, let's say, pursue any political activities nor be affiliated with any political party at this moment. All right, so out of politics over there, uh, uh, Anil Anthony, thanks very much for speaking to us, explaining why you felt that uh, your time in the Congress Party was over based on a lot of what you described. Well, we're out of time on left, right and centre. We'll take a short break. A lot more coming up right here on NDTV. <laughs>